Are you ready to take the next step in your multifamily investing career? The time has never been better than now. Think Multifamily's Deal Analysis Workshop is a comprehensive live training course that will help increase your skills, knowledge, confidence as an investor before you invest. This workshop is a unique experience that provides hands-on instruction and guidance directly from Mark Kinney, who has completed over 100 multifamily syndications valued at over $1 billion. This course goes beyond theory as you will be presented with real case studies and practice scenarios to work out in class. By the end of the training, you will have significantly improved your ability to evaluate deals quickly, make informed decisions, and take your investing skills to the next level with confidence. For more information and to register for Think Multifamily's Deal Analysis Workshop, go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash D-A-W, use code Whitney100 to save $100. The Deal Analysis Workshop is designed for both beginner and experienced investors. Whether you are looking for a foundational understanding of how to analyze multifamily investments or looking for fresh insight on how to pivot your analysis method, for this current market cycle, this is a workshop you have been looking for. Register today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash DAW. Use code Whitney100 to save $100. So it's really important for investors to, when they're investing, especially in the multifamily, you're investing in the areas where there's growth, not just population, but also job growth, and where there's also a common regular decrease that you're seeing over, let's say, a decade or two in crime. And that way you can see that there's money being reinvested into the community. There's people moving in with jobs. And that's where you're going to have minimal issues trying to rent your apartments. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Sam Rust. Joining us today is Charles Carrillo. Charles is the founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners, has been actively involved in over 200 million of real estate transactions since 2006. So as we were discussing, he's an OG Charles has extensive knowledge in renovating and repositioning multifamily and commercial real estate. In addition to being an active investor, Charles passively invests in many different assets, including commercial real estate, ATMs, early stage technology, and ag tech startups. That's an interesting one. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Sam. So great to be here. Yeah. Okay. Before we dive into real estate, I got to ask, ag tech, what's the connection? That's not something that just everybody has in their bio. Riff on that for 45 seconds. So AgTech is a very unique, obviously, as you just said, very unique asset class, but it's within tech where you're putting... It's mainly what we've been investing in is companies, you're taking fertilizer and you're using technology to make fertilizer work better, I guess you would say. You know what I mean? And when we're having limited farming land throughout the, the world, and we're doing a lot of this in South America, or the companies that we invested into are, and it's really where you're reviewing soil, you're seeing what's wrong with it, you're seeing where it can be optimized and using technology for it. And obviously, with everything that's going on, especially with the war, but we've been doing this for, I don't know, I've been investing for in ag tech probably for 18 months. So I feel it's something that's coming along where you're having a lot of countries, there's, you hear it all the time of farmland going away and all this kind of happening. And so it's really pushing that um, any type of soil that has to be that you're using technology to really find how you can optimize it and how you can really what needs to be done to kind of maximize the output. It's interesting. It's a very interesting thing that we invest into and very passively, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> you're not in the laboratory uh, trying to <laughs> compounds. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> That's correct. Right. 
Awesome. Well, appreciate you shedding some light on that. So Charles, you've been in commercial real estate for a long while, 16, 17 years. You've seen a couple of cycles. Maybe sketch a little bit of your background for our listeners. Yeah. So really quickly. So I grew up in multifamily real estate. My dad bought his first multifamily property in 1984. It was a six family and not so great of a neighborhood. So when I grew up going in the, you know, I guess you'd say 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, going to, as I was younger, going to my dad's properties and he had with a partner, I guess, up to almost a hundred units and he self-managed them all. He had a small team, but the properties were D, C minus, let's just say to be nicely to my father. Not great properties. He knew that. And when I got out of college a few years later, I was buying property and my, or I was ready to buy property. And my dad just kind of instilled in me in buying in better areas. And I took that, you know, half-heartedly. I wish I had bought better than the areas I was in, but it definitely goes to show you that that's definitely a rookie mistake. So it's like the first thing I ever tell new investors to buy in better areas whenever you think it. And don't be swayed by this nice cash flow statistics that are being put up there or all these rents that are coming in when they put them into the listing. That's, uh, you know, you have to take that with a grain. So, yeah. You mentioned as we were chit-chatting beforehand that you had a portfolio of smaller multifamily that you had built personally and self-managed. There's got to be some stories there. Broadly, sketch for us what got you into that, why you decided to self-manage and why you ultimately decided to exit uh, 18 months ago. Yeah. So I started buying that in 06 and I was buying 06, 08, 09. And uh, so I went from the best all the way to the worst times of buying, which is just kind of one of those things where People are always like, oh, I'm going to wait for a better time or wait for prices to come down. Everybody hears this, right? And it's really one of those things where, yeah, the one in 06 was probably like a single or maybe a double, I guess, if you really push it. But the one you bought and you know, I bought in the end of 09 would definitely be like a home run. So it's one of those things that you consistently have to look at properties like we were talking about, Sam, beforehand for the call. And it's just something that when you're looking at properties, you have to kind of know that you know not every deal is going to be a home run. And you just know that... You consistently buying, you're consistently underwriting properties. And when something pencils, I mean, you're taking it down. And I think that's kind of my mentality because even if you're taking down a double and something like this, I mean, the return is still going to be much better than you're going to get in other asset classes. So I think that's very important for investors to take into consideration. And then without knowing it, who knows, maybe you're buying in 2018 or 2019 and you've got COVID around the corner and you're selling it for a fortune two years later. So you, you just don't know what's going to happen. And I think it's just important that when stuff pencils, you know, buy for cash flow, don't buy for appreciation, all these things that you hear from everybody else. And I think that that's kind of like the safest way of doing it. And when I was doing it, I self-managed it from 06 to 2012. I moved down to Florida in 2012, so I didn't really have a choice. I was selling or I was having third-party management, which was kind of a blessing. And I wish I'd done it a little earlier. Six years gives you a lot of it gives you a lot of experience in dealing with C-class tenants, which is great. Something you can you can pull over into any other part of real estate investing. But it's also great to do the self-managing, but it's also great to focus on your acquisitions and bring in that third-party manager. Yeah. And then ultimately you've disposed of those here recently. Yeah, I, uh, I sold it to another investor. Those are all based where I was originally from in Connecticut. And I okay. sold those to an investor that had other units in the area. So for him, it was great because he was getting more scale with his property manager. And for us, it was perfect because now we could put it into other markets that we were really focusing on. Connecticut's not really a landlord-friendly state at all. And we learned that for the most truth right through COVID when we had tenants not paying for like a year. So got those tenants out, seasoned them, sold them. And that was kind of what our plan was. And it's great. It's all a learning experience when you're doing it. You know what I mean? And But it's something that we really focus on 
more landlord-friendly states. We're focusing on states and areas where there's actual growth. You know, it's not just a straight line. And that's really what our focus is on now because getting a mix of the appreciate or the cash flow is really important, but getting the mix of cash flow and appreciation, which is something you can't really get appreciation in markets that aren't growing. So it's really important for investors to, when they're investing, especially in the multifamily, you're investing in the areas where there's growth, not just population, but also job growth, and where there's also a common regular decrease that you're seeing over, let's say, a decade or two in crime. And that way you can see that there's money being reinvested into the community. There's people moving in with jobs. And that's where you're going to have minimal issues trying to rent your apartments. Yeah. It's a fairly simple recipe on where to... It's hard to get the cake to come out right. I mean, there's a ton of work that goes into it. But the recipe itself is just not that challenging. I have so much respect for people, though, who cut their teeth or or even still invest in areas like Connecticut. I was talking to a guy the other day who invests in Baltimore, some of those areas in the Northeast or in some of the Rust Belt cities, you know, like Dayton or some of those areas where there's just not a lot of growth. Man, that is the heart of the hard right there. Yeah. There's also... you have to buy extremely right in those markets. Not saying that you can, you're going to be overpaying when you're getting into areas that are really growing. And I hate using that word and I hate saying that, but it's kind of true. But you're paying for where the growth's coming and you're going to pay over compared to another unit. So, you, yeah, you're going to have an area. But the thing is that if I'm off my rents $100 in an area that's not growing per month, that's a huge difference compared to if I'm off that amount in an area that's really growing. You know what I mean? Because it's going to make up with the growth, maybe not in the first year, but maybe in the second or third. So it's very important to buy in areas that are growing, nowhere, no matter where you are. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about the, the concept of just staying consistent in your acquisition efforts, underwriting deals, and not trying to time the cycle. That, that makes me think a lot of some of the big stock pickers like Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, some of those guys, that the time in market is really important. Yeah. And yes, you know, every investor thinks that they can time cycles, but generally it's the folks who have a process, stick to it, that are successful in stocks. That's something that's more commonly accepted. Mm-hmm. And I think that same thing is true in commercial real estate. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you're you're consistently buying, but then there's also the time too is when you're when the time to sell, you know what I mean? Or when the time to pull out some equity, you know, how much equity do you pull out? But I think timing to sell, especially when you have investors, it's very important. Because I've spoken to a number of investors that when we were selling properties at the beginning of 2022, and we're like, oh, this is going to close and they want to hold it. Well, they're they're happy they sold it now. You know what I mean? Because it would have been, I don't know, two, three years to get something close to that price or maybe that price again, or over that price, whatever it might be. But it's something that you kind of have to not get greedy. And there's a great quote. My One of my mentors told me that only a sucker sells at the top of the market. And that's something I really... I think it was JFK Sr. originally told it or something. But it's something that is so important and it's so true. You know what I mean? You're thinking you're selling at the top or you're going to wait for the top. You're never going to hit it. Who knew they were selling? I never knew I was selling my stuff at the top in like 2022. You just thought like, oh, I'm selling it on the way up. And it's a way of getting money back to investors, getting money out for us. And now they can take their profits and now they can reinvest it into not just one deal. They can now reinvest into two deals. You know what I mean? So it's safer for them. And I think that's really important, but it's difficult. You know, it's difficult to make the decision there. So it's really, if you have the business plan, you stick to the business plan when you're putting money in and when you're taking money out. Yeah. We Same thing for us. We sold a couple of deals in 2021, right at the very end of the year. And there was definitely some investors that were questioning the decision. 
And now in hindsight, it looks fantastic. But I think that goes to a point that so many of the investors, you syndicate, we're syndicating as well. You know, there's a lot of investors who've only been investing for the last five years, maybe even 18, 24 months. They're used to everything being smooth and pushing forward. And now we're seeing rubber meeting the road, right? There, it really matters. What was your business plan? Was it based primarily around floating rate debt and constant growth? Like that can work in the right cycle, but the cycle is over now and, and things have changed. How are you messaging that to, how did you message that to investors, those principles, those truths? And are you finding people more receptive to those kinds of messages now that the cycle has changed? I think you're getting investors, when I'm speaking to investors now, and it's really just reinforcing what the business plan is and reinforcing how we work. And there's another, as you brought up Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett has another famous quote where it's like, we'd rather take a bumpy 15% than a smooth 12%. And I think that's a very interesting and very important quote that investors, past investors specifically should take into consideration because that is exactly how it works. I mean, we're buying businesses. Like you said, someone that came in in the last four years has seen rent increases without doing anything. They didn't have to do anything in the properties and they could have sold it higher one day later, three years later. And it's that's not how it works normally. So it's something that you just have to reinforce it with investors that there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, you know what I mean? In the process, we're going to have times when our occupancy and everybody's paying is 97%. And we're going to have times when we're doing all this renovation, stuff like this, that drops into the high 80s or whatever it might be. And you just have to let people know that that's how it's going and what you're doing to get it to you know, the final, what I call like the equity multiple. And that's the whole goal. The whole project is getting there and you know, get distributions during the way. But the main thing is really building the wealth and how you build the wealth through the equity multiple. The target at the end and not necessarily... It's interesting how many investors, they will evaluate deals based on that equity multiple, which I think is, you know, what's the total upside potential here? But then during the deal, it's like hyper-focused on the cash flow, (laughs) which... Like I don't fault people for that. Like yeah. I, I also am managing my personal cash flow, and you want to meet your expenses. But it, it's just funny to me how often it works where people take the long view when they're getting into an investment, and then the moment they're in, they switch to a very short term window. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. I never thought about that. That, but that's a hundred percent true. I think being a passive investor in many different real estate syndications, I think you see it where you want to start getting money. You want, to, you want to start getting your money back out. You know what I mean? And you're seeing, you know, you see the equity multiple, but that's one thing that's different with angel investing because you put your money in and it's many years and you're not getting any distribution. So it's, I'm more on that side now with commercial real estate where you're like, you know, whatever it has to take to finalize and finish the business plan. And then just kind of communicating that to investors of what the whole plan is, what the whole goal is right? You know, preserve capital. We don't want capital calls. And then it's like equity multiple, you know what I mean? And then distributions is like behind that. So if like you're getting your distributions, that's fantastic. That's like the main goal. But you know, if we're going to, Hey, we're going to, we're, we're putting in like water metering for all the units. Cause we had a higher water bill than we before. And we're going to, you know, half distributions for the next two quarters or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? You have to communicate that and be like, listen, it's bad now, but or it's not as what you thought right now, but next year, that's going to be something that's when we're taking this off our expenses, you know what I mean? This water, that's going to be a huge thing. It's going to be a huge upside for you and for the property and for when we sell it. And I mean, I've been telling investors this since my very first project, but the only thing I can guarantee you when I'm showing you a pro forma and an investment summary is that what I'm saying here is not going to come to pass. And 
we hope that we've controlled for the conservative or, you know, through conservative nature and underwriting that, that we're going to have more surprises to the upside than the downside. But the reality is not every deal is going to be a home run. I love that quote from earlier. And there's going to be hiccups along the way. And we have to be able to deal with those. But that's where communication really comes in. And so I'm curious, how are you communicating with your current investors and nurturing them, educating them and helping them to come alongside the process instead of leaving them out in the cold and uh, you know they're watching their bank account and seeing their distributions go down. I think if we have any deals where distributions have changed it's it's really you know keeping them informed, keeping as much information and is sending it out and really how I've done it is is we're going to send out an update of what's happening. We're going to tell them what our decisions are of what we've done. I'm going to wait for my phone to ring and I'm going to pick that up and explain exactly what's happening in more detail than the email. And then I will, whatever they want, I will shower them with as many financials as comes in from our phone. You know, if they want, I tell, I tell them all the time, if you want weekly updates of what's happening with every unit and leases, I will send that to you. You know what I mean? I will forward you the email. It's whatever you want, full transparency, because, you know, we're investors in this. My family's investors in this. I have really good friends that are investors in this. So it's not just third party investors where your only relationship is your investors together, right? But so I think just communicating it and then just it's really a one by one because you have some investors that I mean, a lot of investors don't really care. They see that it's going the right way and they know about the hiccup and you probably have this. And there's other ones that might be this might be their first time. It might be their second time. It might be their first time going through at all in a real estate investing, going through some type of pullback, right? Where COVID doesn't really count. I mean, COVID was like stop, people stopped buying property for like 40 days or something. And then they started buying property again or whatever it was. It was like nothing. And so you didn't really see it there. It was just, this is like the first time that they might be going through something. So in that scenario, it's something that I think it's just walking them through and educating them. It's interesting how the 80-20 principle plays out in so many areas of life, but 80% of the questions come from 20% or maybe even 2% of your investors. Yep. It's true. And that's what I mean, it is. Uh, I'm here, you know, and when I started doing this or, you know, in syndications, it was new to me. And I kind of more watch what happened, but other people want to get more involved and kind of see they want answers faster and they want to get their questions in front and center and make sure that you get them answered so they're comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I, my philosophy when investing in other opportunities has always been I want to know the people really well. And then I'm going to trust them to go and do the right thing. And, and I think those that's the perfect investor avatar for folks in our line of work as well, as we love those investors that get to know us, do a lot of homework on the front side, and then they just watch those monthly updates. And there's you know a few questions along the way. What You have a lot of experience, though, in investing in other people's deals. What are some of the things that you look for? I want to see what kind of base that they have in that area. So I want to see that I love when I'm looking at deals and they have multiple properties in that area, or if they are partnering the boots on the ground, let's just say, whoever that might be. Because you usually get into these deals, there's one or two general partners in there. Maybe you're working through one of them. and But the actual boots on the ground, I want to see that they have a number of units, a number of projects in the area. And they have... It's their management company, which is fine. Or I mean, that's great. Or it's third party that they've used in all these units or all these properties. So that they have proven system on the ground, a proven team on the ground that they're using. And then when they plug in this, you know, fourth, fifth, seventh property, whatever it is, into that that market, they know it's going to run like clockwork. There's not going to be, I'm not getting an email nine months down the road saying that the property manager is switched out and you know everything's a mess. They've had success with what they've got boots on the ground. That's number one. And then you're looking to everything else. You're looking at 
how now it's really important about the debt. But at this point, depending on where interest rates go, maybe that's not as important. It was a few months ago. I mean, it just, you're, you're looking at all parts of it, but I really want to see when I'm looking at the team and when I'm looking on boots on the ground, it's really looking into their management and seeing exactly who's the ones talking to the, to the clients and making sure that they have a team of contractors, they have the management team, everything is all they've used before. They're currently using it. And I know that it works. It's like a banker told me years back, it's like printing money. And that's when I think when you're like that, Six seventh asset in the submarket with their using their system, you're they're just printing money and you're just kind of like riding right in, which is what you want to do. You don't want to reinvent the wheel with the with your GP. Fantastic. Charles, thanks for joining us today. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Real Estate Syndication Show. I'm your host, Sam Rust, signing off. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 